And we're live. You just missed all the cool stuff where we were telling lies and war stories about all the <laughs> stupid crap we did in a desert far, far away. But uh, hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. Well, at least Nick. I mean, he's our dysfunctional friend. Uh, And that's water in there. We absolutely are 100% maybe-ish positive. Uh, but with, without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Stephen Konishai, did I get anywhere close to the right zero area code for that last He's shaking his head, man. He's like, dude, you, how did you put my worse. name? What is this, Starbucks? <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, Konechny, actually, Stephen Konechny. Yeah. Konechny. Um, okay. Yep. Yeah, I wasn't uh, even yeah, in the same uh, like, planet. Uh, <clears throat> you, yeah, you're in the same realm. Uh, wrong multiverse there, buddy. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, uh, Marine Corps veteran. I've been doing this writing stuff for, I think going on two years now, two and a half years. So, um, yeah, I don't know what else you want me to say, but it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be no, here. That's awesome. I appreciate you so guys. He likes, having long, me on. he likes long walks on the beach at night with his Zinfandel cause he's a Marine and he has his nice crowns and they yep. do a picnic. <laughs> All right. So the uh, the next part of the uh, the introduction, dear listeners, how we found them. So we met him through friend of the show, Jeremy Spires, who was uh, one of the special bad boys with uh, Nick back in the day. Uh, they played tiddlywinks together or whatever those Rangers did. I don't know. <laughs> they weren't as cool as us legs. I can tell you that. We we had a uh, a vintage set of lawn darts. That's that's what we played. Oh, you mean the 82nd? No, they they just shoot fireworks at each other, like, like <laughs> and make adult videos. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that when I got in. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, this is a family friendly show, so we'll steer clear of that mockery. And instead, I'm gonna let you ask him uh, the religion question. And this is water, oh. I, or this is Coke, I promise. It's 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 not water, it's an adult <laughs> beverage. I ain't gonna lie. I, <laughs> All right, let's get rock and rolling. All right, so the religion question is very important to me. It's very important to our audience. Kind of like sizes you up where you fall in the science fiction realm. So we're going to just start off. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Yeah, so a year ago I answered this question with Stargate. Um, but I'll stick to the traditional ones this time. With I'll stick with Star Wars. Stargate is an acceptable answer. And I didn't realize that we had asked you the questions a year ago because we've mixed it up since then. So that's my fault for not uh, not good, catching man. it. But I do know the fantasy questions have changed. So we're good there. And uh, since Doc's producer. not here, yeah, since Doc's not here, we're going to blame her for this error. Yeah. In this grievous <laughs> oversight. <laughs> She's the producer. She should have been on this, damn it. She's in the middle of moving houses, so she gets a pass because everyone hates to move. She gets a half pass. It's one of the most stressful things you'll do in your life. Yeah. Well, she oh, bought her first house. So congratulations. Oh, she put that out publicly, so we're not like outing her. <laughs> All right, Nick. Yeah, well, we're also polytheistic. So hopefully these questions weren't in the last time, but we'll give it a go. Game of Thrones, The Wheel of Time, uh, or Conan the Barbarian? So I'm going to go with The Wheel of Time, Nick, for this one. Okay. That's my final answer. Final <laughs> answer. All right. Is it because I, I, I cringed a little? Just, yeah. No, I know I have the first couple of Game of Thrones books, and uh, I I did read them, and I don't. 
I, at the time I was a 21 year old idiot and didn't realize how bad they were. Um, oh, they're horrible. Yeah. They're so they're bad, absolutely horrible. horrible. It's basically softcore porn and I don't want to read that. So, um, I mean, I do love Conan. I just haven't read any of the books. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger did a great job bringing him to life on the big screen though. Oh, get when you, if you get a chance, give them a go. They're, they're really fun. I've, I've met Robert Jordan, uh, who wrote the wheel of time. He was a very eloquent speaker. Yeah, his book, I mean, his writing, I started reading those books when I was in Iraq, actually had a, um, one of my buddies had turned me on to them. And like, I flew through those things. Um, like, I think I only got through like nine or 10 of them. But yeah, those are, they're pretty good. Oddly enough, the prior question, that's how I got turned on to Firefly was when I was in Iraq, because we've already consumed every other piece of media or entertainment out there. And somebody had the first season of Firefly, the only season of Firefly. The only season. <laughs> on, on DVD. And they didn't tell me that I didn't make any more. So I binge watched these things on like over span. Of, well, it took me about two days in between patrols. I didn't sleep so I could watch this. And then I'm like, okay, man, where's the second season? He's like, oh. There you didn't know you're gonna to want to sit down for this one <laughs> yeah pretty, they did too because i got so into it i was like man that malcolm reynolds is a, he's badass dude yeah like, really series is awesome. does i'm a fan of that oh yeah i actually was been binge watching lost i was binge watching lost when we were over there I, i'm pretty sure that's what it was i didn't get to that one yet i just kept re-watching firefly yeah. what surprised me was the number of infantry brothers i uh, i deployed with who were watching the girliest weirdest stuff i'm like dude they oh, don't make new grunts I, like they used to. That's where I discovered the notebook, and it was based on a dare. Like Gilmore Girls? <laughs> yes, that was the one no of the ones they were watching. I'm like, what the heck is wrong with you? The, audience, the, the target audience were little girls. We had a, we had something going on in the platoon. It's like, okay, here's the deal. you got to watch this movie, and it's, you know, big boy system, so you got to honor system. You start a counter, and when you start crying, log it. And we're going to see who waited the longest to cry watching the notebook. I was yeah, actually 37, in 37 minutes. I don't think I cried I in that one, actually. I did. I did. 30, I, 37 minutes in, I like started getting like feelings of home. You know, I just seen my daughter be born. I got deployed. You know, I was just like 37 minutes. So, <laughs> logged. Actually, yeah. I was actually uh, passing through Charleston where that was being filmed, those scenes there. So I, the the movie theater he went into in the in the movie, I've actually yeah. been in that movie theater. Oh no! Nice. Because it's still well, it was still open as of oh four oh three oh four. So yeah, that tracks. All right, all right. Moving on, we we went on a tangent there, which was a fun one, by the way. Um, all right. So we everybody that's ever watched the show has been on the show knows that we're big fans of the fantastical and the scientific or sci-fi. Uh, which was your first love, sci-fi or fantasy? I, I really want to say fantasy, um, but I know like as a kid, it was all sci-fi, like Star Wars, Star Trek, any of that stuff that I can get my well, hands on. But now as an adult, uh, I mean, what I didn't else brings, shot, sorry. no, you're good. What else, what else brings everybody else into fantasy? Lord of the Rings, like Tolkien's Lord work. And yeah, um, like that's, I think where, you know, watching those movies in theaters when I was in, when I was in high school, um, like that's that was... Like that was like when I started to make that shift over into the fantasy realm. Um, and then like all of Robert Jordan stuff that I read, um, there's other guys like Raymond Feist, I think his name is, um, you know, the, uh, all the D and D stuff. That's when I started playing DD was in high school. And so like yeah. when I really started to get into the fantasy. I didn't get into D and D until like my 
I was in the military. I was like my third year in. I walked by a barracks room and a couple of guys there who looked very shameful for some reason, um, like covering up their board. I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, it's Friday and I'm underage. I can't drink. What are you guys doing? We're playing D&D. All right, show me how. <laughs> and that, nice. and then I loved it. Was Walt so, yeah, one of the first? No, no Walt, of- Walt wasn't there. He's above my time. <laughs> I was gonna say one of the first uh, games of D anD D that I played was the Warhammer Forty K version. That was a okay. very interesting uh, endeavor. I envy all these people who talk about all this free time they had when they were on active duty and deployments. And I'm like, they were volunteering me for missions so much that the brigade sergeant major came down to my first sergeant like, "Yo, chill the f out." So we're talking 1999, you know. So like the GWAT hasn't kicked off yet, and we have okay, okay. a thing that used to be called Green Cycle. So you didn't have okay, shit going. That's fair. That's fair. You know, all of my active duty time was them sending me to deserts far, far away where nobody ever wanted to go voluntarily. I did that too. Yeah. yeah. I just worked so, in an office. So, you know. I got yelled at by people that worked in that office. Does that count? Sure. Yeah. We'll go with it. <laughs> all right. So you talked about, you know, some of the, the highlights of your experience with, with, um, science fiction, which you think was your first exposure to speculative fiction. If you had to nail it down to just one property, do you do you know what it was? I mean, was it like one thing? Like I mean, I don't I, know, for I me, would... it was the Hobbit. It was the Hobbit cartoon. Oh, like one individual, like medium. Oh man, yeah, like, like, I, I don't know. Memory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> core memory unlocked. Uh, I uh, <clears throat> I did um, when the Halo books came out. Uh, Halo: Fall of Reach. Like that was my jam. I've still got my copy of it. And I like brought it on both my deployments with me. I've read that thing dozens of times. I think that was probably um, one of the, the one thing that got me in it the most um, was that one. Like it's like the bindings, like the covers falling, falling apart. But like, I've had that thing since it came out in like 2004, 2005, whenever the, the book came out, like that thing is. Yeah. It's good. Did you watch Halo 2 came out? Yeah, did the, you watch any game. of the um the movies, the Halo movies that are out? Uh you mean like the TV show that they made? Uh there was one that was originally about the uh Cordolis Academy. Um oh, there was one yeah, yeah, yeah. Side. Axion, yeah. Axion, yeah. That's um, a good yeah, one. Yeah, that was I thought that was pretty good. The yeah, the story of uh what's the guy, the the commander, lieutenant commander from Halo 4. Um, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, I didn't see the live action TV show they made because I heard it was supposed to be Mass Effect, and then they lost the rights to that last minute, so they just it was not Halo. I'll tell you that. Own. Yeah, I, I actually made, had made six had episodes in. I was like in Halo, and I turned it off. I didn't watch another episode after that. Was that was that made by Peacock or was that uh, HBO? Uh, Paramount. Paramount. Okay, I, I didn't uh, watch that one because I don't have that. But there, yeah. there were a couple um, actual like proper movies that they made. Um, I'll have to dig out the links and get them to you afterwards. But I know. The one on um, Reach when it was invaded was one uh, with the main character from the Captain of the Ford Under Dawn, and then there was one set on the some dark planet that was so badly lit that it was almost impossible to watch the movie. Um, but there are two proper uh, movies. Out. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other one was with the the main character from Halo Five. Well, not the main character, because it's Master Chief, but the like the secondary character. Um, yeah, the Spartan that was hunting him down. Yeah, yeah. I saw that too. Um, I forget what it's called. Um, and then uh, they have like the Halo Legacies TV, like it's like animated, like short stories. Yeah, yeah I've seen those too. I've seen those. Those yeah. were good. Uh, those were pretty good. 
So, yeah, that, that's actually, that's a really good one. I, I enjoyed that too. That was uh, my first um, gateway into like sci-fi games. For me, I, I really, I really dug that. I, th I thought it was pretty immersive universe. I really dig the ODST from the Halo world too. So, yeah. that's probably my favorite game is Halo Three ODST. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. And I like the lore, like feet first into into hell. Like yeah. I, I mean, just I, I'm just a little jealous that I didn't write it first. Because <laughs> I mean, yeah, and those guys at at uh, Bungie are those guys are geniuses. What they did there. Yeah. All right. So what is it? You've talked about your first memory of, of finding speculative fiction, but what is it about the larger umbrella of spec fic that you love so much? I think it's just that I can do whatever I want. Um, <laughs> uh, or the, the writers can really, there's no, like um, you don't have, like you can change history. Um, you can, you know, create your own world, create your own universe, create your own lore. Like, just that, like using your imagination, I think it's definitely like a lost art nowadays um, to do that. Yeah. And, you know, being able to like write in a genre or to have a genre where people are just like spitting out crazy ideas all the time that are like pretty good. Um, I mean, like the writer strike that Hollywood's having, like everyone's like, who cares? Like there's better books out there than what's on TV right now. Just read that stuff. And it's like, that's 100% true. Like there's so many guys that I've run into and come across in just the last year and a half, two years, you know, stepping into this world of like authorship that write 10 times better than anybody who's producing movies and or TV shows. And so, yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff. And I think that it's one of those things that I'm like, man, I like, I like want to be a part of it one, but just like, it's everything that is done. It's just like, it's mind blowing and it's pretty good. So um, that's like being able to just create whatever you want, as long as you can think it up. You get to like, be that's God. One of the things about speculative fiction, yeah, essentially. Um, I was uh, I was talking to uh, Nick Cole uh, about a year ago, and he told me he's like, you know, you're writing your own movie. Just write what you want to write. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, it's the closest you're ever going to get to being like, a solid, deity. Man. You know, yeah, and you get to so, do whatever you want. Have fun. You got it's your own sandbox. Just have fun with it. I think part yeah. of the problem with everyone says with kids these days, but I do wonder because, you know, the lack of, of creativity with some of the younger people we're seeing, I wonder how much of that is as if you were a certain age, you had a lot of time where you were just alone in your thoughts, you know, when you're running around the woods playing GI Joe or whatever it was, whereas nowadays everyone's got a screen in their face all the time. I wonder if we're going to see a, a decrease in creativity because no one has to just think they, they just look at content someone else created for them and they have no time alone in their head just to, to, yeah. to think about the world. <clears throat> or they'll just have an AI do it for them. I was just about to say that, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, like AI has gotten so advanced now that I can write you a movie script. It's crazy. I mean, I is it that AI is that advanced or is the movie scripture that crappy these days? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of call me. Yeah, a little bit of call me, a little bit of call me. I think you're right though, JR. Like, I think it's, it is one of those things where, yeah, people are like kids aren't thinking as much. Like, I remember like growing up, like I didn't have uh, like, I don't think I got a video game system until I was like 10. Like just spent yeah. all my time outside having fun, making up stories, like just, you know, playing GI Joes and all that stuff. Um, I had like drinking those, from the faucet. Those... Yeah. Drink yep. from faucet, the faucet. faucet water um, was the key to creativity back then. There it is. Or the I fire hose. <laughs> I still do it. <laughs> I was outside the other day doing some yard work and it was just like, I'm so thirsty. Turn on the faucet. And the oh, hose yeah. and just start drinking out the hose. I was like, you know, this is better than the sink water. You know, I like this. <laughs> Maybe it's the chemicals I, in the water that did it. I don't know. But uh, 
Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing. I think being detached. I mean, people are always amazed when I tell them, like, because uh, I'm writing a book with James Ward, and sometimes he'll call me and I'll forget that I haven't plugged my phone in in four days. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> so he'll have to send an email that I, you know, because I check those for work. He's like, uh, you didn't charge your phone again. But I grew up before we had the cell phones. You know, like we didn't carry those around everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think it's gonna gonna be an interesting and and that you know, sort of transitions into how do you write people in the future? Because everyone assumes they're going to be just like them. And most of the people writing are our age. Are we going to get to the point where you have to write idiocracy to make it believable? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's like, I think Dark Mirror, that series has covered a lot of the stuff that yeah. is going to happen. Because like, it seems like our attention spans are getting smaller. Like we're not, in our, like we're all in the search for that little serotonin bump, you know, that little dopamine yeah. rush that instant pleasure, that like on your Facebook post, that, uh, that video that just sparks joy, you know, and it's like 30 seconds long. So it's like, we're forcibly internally just, uh, decreasing our attention spans, but, uh, hopefully so the we wake up from that. The Orville did that too. I, I stopped watching after season one cause they went behind a paywall and I'm cheap and poor. Um, but like they were doing some of those same larger ideas. It's like, bro, Orville. I'll give you the passwords. Yeah. Cause I'm pretty sure I have a subscription. We'll talk offline unofficially. This is hypothetical for a story because you know we wouldn't we wouldn't do any for of that research. stuff. For research, it's for the research, it's for the research. Right, right. So, how did your love of speculative fiction, like reading it, playing it, watching it on the screen, how did that transition into you deciding to tell stories in this space? Uh, well, when I was a senior in high school, I was taking a British literature as my senior English class, and we did like a creative writing assignment. Um, for like one of our last projects. And my English teacher was like, man, this is really good. I wrote, I wrote this thing as like a hack and slash, like some Scottish warlord, his castle got attacked and he's just like, like trying to survive like through the fire and like getting, you know, bloodied up and hacking people's limbs off. Um, I mean, I can't remember. I can't even remember. Re like, I don't even know why I remember that anyway. Uh, so when I was deployed um, to Iraq, I was 19 years old. And I remember my English teacher telling me, she's like, hey, you can probably write stories. Like, this is not a bad, like, short story. It was like, I don't know, like 3,000 words, nothing crazy. And, uh, you know, as you do when you're deployed and you're out on patrol for 18 hours a day, um, you have a lot of free time. And so I bought a laptop from the local whatever, whoever was selling it on base and decided to start writing. Um, I wrote this really crappy thing that was like, in my mind, I was like, oh man, I wrote like 200 word or 200 pages worth of text. Like, this is awesome. It was trash because I was 19 years old and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then I had a, I sent it to my old English teacher and she sent it to an editor and the editor was like, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> and then I never heard back. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to do that. Um, but I've always had a desire to be one, a published author in my life. Um, I first got that when I, uh, got my finished my master's thesis. I was published in the university library, and I was like, oh, I did it. And then I was like, ah, but I've always loved D and D and telling stories that way. And um, I've been told that like, hey, I can tell a pretty decent story. And so I'm like, I've got stories to tell. My mind is always racing. Let's just put it down on paper and see what happens. Yep. Yeah, and that's how it goes. But this is an important yeah, question, sir. Before before I I'm going to interrupt you, Nick, because you're the next one, but. What was the interest rate on that laptop you got? Because, I mean, if you got the old Sergeant Major selling it to you like they sold those cars, we're talking 30% APR. Oh, bro, I bought it outright. <laughs> oh, so he's one of those smart me, Marines. Cost me <laughs> grand, 
but uh, I did sell it to one of my old sergeants for like 800 bucks. So, um, you know, it was made all your money back. Almost. Yeah, almost. Nice. <laughs> nice. All right. All right. All right, Nick, now that I've interrupted, you can ask your questions. No, you're good, man. You're you're adding more logs to the fire. I dig it. Um, all right. So a lot. Of, I think all, all of us are authors here. So I know we all draw from real life experiences that kind of like influence the stories that we tell. Um, can you think of any specific moments that happened in your life that kind of shaped you as a storyteller? I mean, not anything specific. There are a lot, though. I mean... I've, you know, before I was 25, I was, you know, married, divorced, been deployed two times to combat, you know, had a bunch of craziness happen, like, you know, lots of family turmoil, like been all over the country, been all over the world. And uh, uh, I think a lot of that kind of like, I wouldn't say misery, but that like all of that kind of plays into it. Um, yeah. there's nothing, there's no like one specific moment where I'm just like, Oh yeah, this More is going to make me a better author. A myriad of experiences you would say. Yeah. Yeah. A plethora. A plethora. I love that word. I was in a, a, a battle update brief one time with my CEO. Uh, I was letting him know we had like a whole mess of ISR assets coming on station for this operation we were getting. And when I was in Afghanistan, we didn't get any ISR assets. That's because we weren't an important AO. Uh, and, uh, he is like, he's like plethora, you know what movie that's from? And I was just, I was like, uh, I got no idea. I have like, I need someone to help me. And <laughs> my captain, he turns in and goes, it's from three amigos with the Steve, the Steve Martin movie. And oh, he's yes. like, he's like, connect me knows all the Intel. I'm just here for the movie knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Ooh, good save. Good save. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies too. It's a good Martin short. He's like, hey, that's a mail plane. And there's a plane fly by. He's like, hey, do you know what kind of plane that is? And he goes, yeah, it's a mail plane. And he goes, how can you tell? And he's like, can't you see its little balls? <laughs> and I, no, I when I first watched that movie, oh, my God, I was like full, holding my sides, like getting a cramp laughing for at least 10 minutes. My parents had to pause it on VHS because I was just making a damn spectacle of myself. And it was amazing. It's the best kind of spectacles. All mm. right, Nick. Keep us keep us going. You got this. All right, cool. All right. So I heard you were a devil dog. Yep. Raw. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, raw. Uh, we ask all our authors who are uh, in the military. Um, do you think your time in the Marine Corps uh, affects the stories that you tell? I think definitely it does. Um, I learned a lot about people while I was there, especially the the job that I was doing as an analyst. Um, and just like the whole like research side of things. Um, and like the whole knowing who is uh, a good leader and who is a bad leader. And so when I write, like I try to pull from that, the like stuff. those the good stuff that I saw yeah. when I was, um, you know, actively serving. So, so it's safe to say that it, um, it affected your process as a writer as well. Oh, for sure. How you, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not the most organized person in the world, but yeah, definitely yeah. Uh, the process and just like um, the, like the analytical thought process that I have behind everything um, right. is kind of how I write too. And so, um, yeah, it definitely affected it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the military is great for many things. Learning how to be organized and uh, be task oriented is probably one of the top five things that you're going to draw from the military, myself included. I don't know about you, JR, 
but like when I start comics, there's it, it's organized chaos like the military is, where I lay everything out, I research, and I do all this stuff. So yeah, that seems to be the theme of most uh, months, most vets that are that are authors is that it's like yeah, we get some really cool experiences, we get to throw in our stories, but it's really the process that has been affected by our time in the service and how we organize. I think I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah, that and the 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 crazy wacky cross slice of America that we meet because you serve with people from all over. Yeah, like and it's some a, of them, it's like it's a hodgepodge you, from all over, this, all over the country. Yeah, and some of them, I wonder how they breathe and walk at the same time. But yeah, I I, yeah. I held my breath most of the time. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like I met people that in theory, like you got to, there's a whole clause in your enlistment contract that talks about, you know, you're not enlisting to avoid something because that was a change when they stopped letting people get shanghaied into go to war, or go to jail stuff. But I served with a guy that, cause you know, small towns are small towns. And it was like, he got the go to war or go to jail speech that come to Jesus moment. So like, it's, it's always funny when you meet people and like, you'll, you'll talk to people that didn't serve like you. And they're like, that's not possible. And I'm like, want to bet? Let me introduce you to my friend, Bob. Yeah, because Bob here is from who gives a crap, Tennessee. Very small town. There's one sheriff, one judge, and uh, he he did some stuff that he was going to go to jail for, and the judge gave him an offer. Go to war, go to jail. Six people like that in my boot camp platoon. I believe but it. I actually I I don't it. see the big deal of that because some of them were some of the best soldiers because they, they knew they were getting a second chance, and they were like, so grateful for it. Oh, like, yeah, I don't actually yeah. think it's inherently a bad thing to give people that option. I mean, obviously it depends on what their crime was, right? Like you don't want someone whose crimes were of such a moral turpitude that you wouldn't want them serving next to you in a war zone. But it's like that, uh, Arlie Guthrie song, Alice's restaurant. I mean, come on. Some of those, yeah. you know, I would say five and six, five out of six are good. The other one is yeah. he's a scumbag. My <laughs> first, my first duty assignment as a platoon leader, half my platoon were gangbangers from Bakersfield. Like the tattoos, Sounds the whole right. nine. And army, yeah. those were the best troops. Those were the best, most professional troops. Because even in, I asked them, like, man, like you come from a world that doesn't seem like it has much organization. It's like, dude, we're super organized. I'm like, what? Go on. And they told me about it. I was like, dude, there's a rank structure. There's a hierarchy. There's a chain of command. You don't do shit without like. You know, have the blessing from your higher up. So I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Well, Theoretically, because you know, oh, hopefully I don't fail you as a leader and you stab me in just in my sleep. We're you know? here to get professional gun training. That's all. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's like, don't worry, you're, don't worry, sorry, you're a good shot. I'm gonna make you better. <laughs> yeah, fair, fair. So, uh, did you draw on anybody you knew when you were in? I mean, obviously there are the stereotypes, but like any specific, like this was definitely Jim, Bob, Billy, Joe. And then we served together. That's my oh. that's my uncle's name. <laughs> uh, not for not for the. I mean, I have um, not for the book we're talking about today. But yeah, I have in some of my other works drawn from people that I've served with. Well, they almost serve as an archetype, don't they? They almost like some, do. Yeah, yeah. It's like I know this guy, and he's got these personality traits, you know. And I'm just yeah. Change I've got a. Um, I got one of my buddies. Uh, his name was John Busher. Uh, he was. Like an, he was an O3 that came over into the headquarters company, um, like into the headquarters company office. And like, we became really, really close friends. And he's just like one of those guys that's just like always got something smart to say, like one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. 
And he was just like an infantry dude that's just like, yeah, I'm smarter than you and I know it. And you're just a dumb Intel guy. And I was like, I mean, you're, you're not wrong. <laughs> but I mean, first yeah. of all, hurtful, but you're not wrong. No, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I came across a lot of those guys. In fact, dude, the roles were reversed. They were Intel guys and I was an infantry guy. And uh, they were like, well, here at Intel, we're smarter than you. And we know it. And I'm like, did you just drop Global Gym on me? For real, dude? Well, you know, it is an oxymoron. So, you know, military intelligence. Yeah, military so, intelligence. But, yeah. The, the thing is, is everyone assumes that, you know, the infantry are the dumb guys because that stereotype, you know, goes back a ways. But if you look at some of the complex equipment that you have to use, I mean, like I, I, some of the smart paper pushers couldn't do half of what we had to do. And I'm not even talking about like shoot, move, and communicate. I'm just talking about operating the base level of equipment. Like try to get some of our clerks to make send guards work. Mm, wasn't happening. Well, the old yeah, they were trying the infantry to... is uh, the infantry can do everybody else's job, but not everybody can do the infantry's job. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when we were getting ready to deploy to Afghanistan, they had like all of the weapons company had all of their machine guns out on the prey deck. And they're like, all right, you got to learn how to use all the machine guns. And I was like, listen, I'm not 50 cal because if that happens, we're already screwed. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't need to learn how to use this because we're already going to be screwed like, if I have to. <laughs> Like, bro, you're you're putting in headspacing, timing, algorithms yeah, now, there's so and much I ain't got stuff. time for it. I mean, if I had gone to school to be a machine gunner, I probably would have known how to do all that stuff, but that wasn't what I was trained to do. I can use an M16, yeah, the mo- but not a machine yeah, gun. And that's all you need. <laughs> yeah. Have well, you seen the movie? Have you seen the movie We Were We Were Soldiers? which is based on the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. There's that famous scene where the Sergeant Major, uh, is the reporter asked the Sergeant Major why he doesn't have a rifle, and he says, if I need one, there'll be plenty of them laying around. That's Left kind the of the, the, the vibe I'm getting. <laughs> I, I was in that movie. I mean, that's... <laughs> were you really you know. an extra? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That was my first drill in the California National Guard after I got out of active duty. There's so actually... The drill, they're, like, they're like, hey, we're all going to San Jose to audition for a movie. I'm like, yeah, that tracks. California National Guard. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> uh, Battle Los Angeles. Fun. That's a good one. I here. love that movie. My basically my entire unit was extras for that. Oh, awesome! So, so the, the base, like they're on Camp Pendleton, and so like the CP they drive by was the CP that I worked in. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah. So That's the uh, the for for the we were soldiers the movie I wasn't in it but there was a dead guy wearing Handley on a uniform as a distant cousin that died there at the Nang so I mean that's almost the same as being an extra basically uh yeah and it I'll was filmed it. In, it was filmed in Paso Robles California also known as Camp Roberts aka Camp Bob nice so, nice which, which looks nothing like Vietnam nothing as you can see in the movie. I mean, have you noticed every alien planet looks like California? I mean, Canada. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that happens. Yeah, was it Calgary, I think they filmed yeah, it all at? Yeah, the Mojave. Uh, yeah. Or Toronto. Yeah. All right. Because it's We're expensive to get to New Zealand. Out in Yellowstone, wasn't it? In Wyoming? Yeah. Was it yeah, really? It was. Yeah. Okay, that tracks. I really yeah, want to go to that canyon there, or that, that park, because it looks dope. Oh, yeah. Well, they did it for the basic training scene, and they also did it for the uh, Kalafu scenes. Yeah. Do you want to know more? <laughs> yeah. Would you like to know more Would about being like a fascist? <laughs> Which, like, yeah. the book doesn't even deal with fascism, but like the Bro, director book of that is movie is like so good. Oh my god! It's like not. It's like okay. Really- am I the only one that would want to go through their boot camp because it looked fun? Yeah. No, actually, I'd probably go through it because I'm. I'm If I went through it at the same age, I joined the army because I was young and dumb and didn't know any better. I'm like, yeah, I could get a knife through the hand. Sign me up. 
Get me two. Let's do this. That was the coolest oh, scene, though, because I was the idiot at boot camp when we were learning bayonet drills, and I'm like, oh, drill sergeant, what makes you think just because we're out of bullets that the enemy is too? So I did a lot of push-ups for that one. But like nice. that was the same vibe that guy did, the muscle head did about, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm the, already the hearing my drill sergeant going like, would you say hand me? Oh, okay. Yeah, too easy. I got something for you. Half right first, you know. <laughs> yeah. Next thing you know, you're getting, you're getting smoked. <clears throat> I can still sometimes hear that drink water <laughs> in oh, my head God. when I'm out PT in myself. Uh, all right. Shake every drop out. Oh my so God, like we talked about up. like how your, your time in the Marine Corps affects the way you tell stories and, and the kind of characters you create. Do you think it affects how you engage with content as a reader, as a viewer, as a, as a game player? Yeah. Are you more critical about some things? Oh, 100%. Every time there's a military movie or something on TV with the military, I'm like, my wife gets annoyed with me. I'm just pointing it out. Like, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Do you know that they have to have this thing in here to, to make it? So, yeah, I do that all the time. Um, and even like as I'm reading books uh, or listening to audiobooks, I'm just like, that's not how the real military is. That's stupid. <laughs> These guys are yeah. way too engaged. Not one person is bored in the motor pool right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes there are certain tells, uh, like when when you see some units and they're like they're militia, and then everyone's like super fit. I'm like, no, they're not. I don't see one yeah. fat lard butt. No, nope, no, nope. those are professional actors straight out of Central Casting. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, anybody that's been to a reserve or guard unit knows there's at least one person who's like uncle somebody's cousin's brother, and he's only there because of that. But he hasn't passed PT in 20 years, and certainly doesn't fit into anything but a maternity uniform. Yeah, well, I mean, even in an infantry battalion in the Marine Corps, you don't have guys that are super fit unless you're in the infantry. And even then, it's like they're work. You, you see them working every single day. So, like, I was in an infantry battalion, but I wasn't an infantry guy. We PT'd every day, but I was nowhere. I was stuck in an office all day. I was behind a computer. I was not in the well, same kind of shape those guys were. Yeah. yeah. And thanks to the infantry, even when I got out and I was like, man, I don't have to run anymore. And then, like I started putting on weight. Now I just look like a gorilla, <laughs> you know? So yeah. like, I got this like strong chest and shoulders and arms and, you know, and I still walk on my knuckles. Cause even though I went off, sorry, I didn't evolve that much because I was enlisted beforehand. I just didn't want to give it up. I like my connection to the earth, yeah. you know? Now I got this, I got this like party keg kind of like going on right now in the stomach area. And I'm like, all right, cool. So I, I, I was trying that. to play college football after I got out of the Marines and I put, I was a, about 245. When I got out, um, I spent like two, like two hours in a day or two hours in a pool twice a day, three or four times a week, like swimming. I had, like, could hold my breath for almost five minutes. Like it was ridiculous. Like I was Damn. in the weight room, just like pushing plates. And then my, uh, I was at the regiment and my major goes, Hey, you're overweight. We're not going to let you out if you're overweight. And I was like, are you serious? And I told him, I was like, I'm trying to play football. I got to be like, yeah, you six put size two. On. I, I wanted to play tight end. I got to be big, big and fast, which was what I was, I got a 300 on my CFT before I got out. Um, and he's like, we're not going to let you out if you can't make weight. And so I'm just like, that's BS. Wait, did it stop up, you from getting out of the service? If you're, he was lying. <laughs> he was, he was blowing smoke and I believe they have no problem. Like sending you out overweight. Yeah. I was it's like, I'm a sergeant. Where you got to be a fit. Right. I was like, I'm a sergeant. I, I don't have to listen to you, sir, but he was a major. Yeah. And so I was like, all right. Okay. So all I stopped right. working out and then I like got a little flabby, right. but so, so here's the secrets on majors that most people won't tell you, but since I have some insider knowledge, I'm going to let you know. 
Second lieutenants and majors are both equally worthless because they both don't know shit. Because the lieutenant, he don't know shit going into the company level of the officership. And then the major, this is his first step into staff and like field grade shit. And he don't know nothing. He is the E1 of the field grades. They're both idiots. Yes, but I lieutenant said I generally is angry as the majors. There's a reason that podcast is called. They were the if they were a corporal at one time. True. This, I mean, I was a corporal three times. I liked it so much, um, but <laughs> you know, I was an overachiever and celebrated really, really hard. Uh, you know, Attaboy. you do what you got to do. Well, you once I didn't know she was a lieutenant. Back. Like, look, okay, the the bars at Fort Bragg. I'm just warning you, young troopers, if you're listening and you're about to go in and you're at the bars around Bragg, I'm just saying the chances are the women are also serving if they look reasonably fit. And for just you young guys, you young infantry dudes that find yourself in Fort Benning, which is now called Fort Moore, and you find no, yourself it will be Benning Fort... forever in my heart. Oh, Benning, it's the mothership. It's Benning's. Uh... Boy for where our school for the Benning boys. school for wayward boys, yeah, or the right. John Wayne school for wayward boys. But if you find yourself in a little town outside of Fort Benning called Columbus, and you go to a little place called the Cannon, and you find a girl that's way outside your league, and she looks really young and probably educated, I guarantee you she's a second lieutenant there for airborne school. True story. That tracks. That tracks. And apparently, right. if your sergeant major doesn't like you because maybe you did a few dumb things that got him in trouble with the colonel, I'm just saying maybe it's, it's probably because you tipped him. You tipped his daughter at the petticoat while she was dancing on a Friday night. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that, that might be also true. a true story. Also a true yeah. story. <laughs> but I'm just saying, you know, maybe it's best if she looks too good to be true. Check IDs is all I'm saying, gentlemen. Check yeah. IDs. Check, check IDs. If she's underage, pop smoke, DD Mao immediately. No, it wasn't the age, it was the rank. Because you know, they don't like corporals and lieutenants together. Oh, when they Apparently have the it's frowned upon. Yeah. They yeah. do in the Air yeah. Force. Yeah. <laughs> they do in the Air Force. <laughs> they do. Thank God uh, though. They almost joined the military in the Air Force. Oh, we actually terrible. were relieved by Air Force guys. I remember va- like vividly, we're we're in the biop. This is before the green zone was pacified, and we're taking fire. And one of the the trucks stopped working. So as the gun truck guys, we're supposed to go in there and help the mechanic like get that shit tactically ready to go. So we're in the middle of hooking up the emergency tow bar, do the thing. It's like it's clockwork for us. We've been doing it for a year and a half, and she starts crying in the middle of Baghdad. This is not because she was a girl, people. It's more because she was Air Force, and she's crying because her <laughs> recruiter promised her that as transportation in the Air Force, she would be taking pilots like Maverick and Goose to the airport. She'd be driving them around, and now she's in a combat zone, and she's crying in the middle of a firefight because her nail broke. And I'm like, holy crap, could you get more Air Force, lady? Like, come oh, on. Lord. Like, man, we're going to get, get some hate mail from this, and, I, and I'm here for it. I accept I know, hate mail. Denote, I love you, brother. You the military. You joined a corporation. Yeah, denote I love you, brother. Not everyone was like this. I get it. Because we got it. We got a colonel that listens. I'm just saying this one time, though. This one time. <laughs> that one's yeah, for I, you, sir. I've known some Air Force cats that are pretty legit. Uh one guy, he uh he's over in Okinawa right now. He's like the lieutenant colonel or colonel for their security forces battalion. He's uh, yeah, he's a beast. And then I also met the first female Air Force officer, security forces officer that went through Ranger School. Oh, okay. Um, that was trippy. Like we hung out, like she got stationed over here in uh, Travis air force base when I was uh, living down there and uh, in California. And like, we hung out a couple times and she was pretty cool, but she was, she was fit, man. Let me tell you. 
She could carry me uh, probably, and I'm not a small so, dude. So the the in their defense, and this is uh, I've talked with some people that were um, have some knowledge on insider stuff with the Air Force. The way they did it when I was deployed, they actually showed up in Kuwait. They got off the Kuwaiti in the Kuwaiti Air Force Bay or maybe, was it Kuwaiti Air? Was the airport that they fly into? I'm drawing a blank, but anyway. And then they meet us at Camp Air of John, and they were literally in a circle jerk with like, okay, who's the rank E7 with date of rank? And they're like comparing records to figure out their chain of command on the spot. Like they just they showed up in mass and like formed a unit. I mean, that's a recipe for a cluster in the beginning. Like they didn't train with each other before they left. It was just well, ones I mean, and two. They weren't PJs or CCT or anything else in the, uh, you know, the special air wing or whatever. So yeah, like, they didn't. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, they didn't know yeah. how to set the headspace and timing. So we're trying to teach them like how to make sure their fifty cal doesn't kill them and it kills the bad guys instead. And like it was, it was an ordeal. That's they a, took higher. It's embarrassing when you get killed by your own weapon. Yeah. Yeah, they took higher casualties than they had to because of that cluster. And so, like, no shade on them. They did well in a crappy situation. Because when that happens, you go to Valhalla, but you sit at the kitty table. <laughs> so, uh, so it was transmission. But the meat is still good, so you're all you're all good. So let's transition oh, from the writing to the to the fan angle for a second. So you know, you're a relatively new author. We were talking in the pre-show that you have like eight books in post-production, but only a couple that are out right now. So you haven't had a chance for a lot of readers to read your books. So what milestones as an author are you looking forward to the most? Uh, I think getting my first trilogy out. Um, so this one we're talking about today is the first in a trilogy. I'm only writing three for it. Um, and then, you know, selling like when I hit a hundred copies, cause I'm like 30% of the way there, I think that'll be pretty big. Um, and you know, so being self-published, I don't really, have a lot of goals i guess i just want to write stories and as long as one person reads it then i feel like i've done my job um yeah. as an independent author and so uh yeah just being able to uh to get that first trilogy kind of out and under my belt and um you know people to recognize my name out in the future i think that would be pretty cool um but i'm not looking for fame i just i want to tell good stories and hopefully i i live up to the reader's expectations in that Okay. That's crazy. So, I like to hear from authors. So what is the uh what is your body of work as it stands? Because I I know you've talked about a lot of them. I'm not sure what all published and what all is not published. So what's uh yeah. what's out there that readers might find? Uh so I wrote a novella. The first one I wrote was uh, Ashes of Eternity Malum and then The Order of Theos. That's the only two available. Uh we did uh, Jeremy and I, Jeremy Spires and I re-released re the first Duality of Death book, um, Protectors, back in December. And we had it on the open market for about two weeks. And then he decided that it needed, to, or we decided together that we needed to, you know, put it through some editing. So we pulled it. Um, that will be rebranded. Um, it's getting rebranded. That's almost done with editing and it will come out later this year. So I've got two books out right now uh, in my name. And then, oh, wow. And, this, and within like a 12 month time frame, you guys, you're really rocking and rolling. Uh, yeah. So this year I'm planning on getting at least two more books, probably four more books released this fall. That's impressive. They're all That's in really post-production. So that helps. It's not like he's yeah. writing for me. Yeah. The next yeah. They're months. all with my editor. Yeah, for, <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. The veil has been lifted. Now I'm just putting, no, actually, it's still. So uh, really. this is the part uh, where we, because we got sidetracked with military stories, but Nick and I have uh, had some talk post-production, pre-production, whatever, offline. And we've decided, dear listener, that we're trying to do a little bit more ad-libbing and a little less strict to the uh, to the template. So you're going to see a lot more of this weirdness and the and the weird timing. But we're going to pause for a moment while we shamelessly shill for the man with this commercial interlude. Well, hello, all you beautiful chicks and dudes of all sorts. This is Suave Rob Suarez, the bitchin' double X daredevil star of Suave Rob's amazing ass-saving association, here with another ass-saving tip, totally free from me to you, to help you save your ass so you can live to sit another day. Now, back in the day, when dudes were dudes, this one dude, Benchmark Bob, buddy of mine, he had this little accident. He tried frying up an egg when he was totally hammered. So he washed a pan, then didn't dry it, then put a shitload of butter in it, then turned on the heat. Well, when you do that, chicks and dudes, the water makes the oil go splatso all over your own personal face. And good old Benchmark got his bench marked, if you know what I mean. Like, when he took his apron away from his face, it looked less like a face and more like someone had stepped on a pepperoni pizza. I don't like to think about it. But that goes to show you, you know? Always dry your pans before you put oil in them, man. Especially if you're frying an egg. Want to know where I learned all this gonzo shit? I got it all done up pretty for you in Suave Rob's Double X Daring Do. The first book of Suave Rob's Awesome Adventures by J. Daniel Sawyer. Come share the awesomeness with me, my brothers, because you never know. The ass you save may be your own. All right. Thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude, dear listener. Um, but uh, now that we're through that, we're going to talk about the book that brought us here. So The Order of Theos. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, Ouija board, eating expired MREs? <laughs> no, um, it was a D&D character class that I tried to make, actually, one time. Uh, like a homebrew class uh, was where it started. Like, um, like a paladin variation um, if you will, that I needed to create a backstory for. And so then I started to write this backstory for my character um, that I ended up never using. And it kind of just sat. And then like about a year later, I went back to it and started to flesh it out a little bit more. Uh, and then I was like, I need to just write this into a story. And my thought was to just make it a D&D campaign that I can you know, run some players through. Um, that got sidetracked uh, or side tabled for... I don't know, a year or two. And then I ended up playing uh, D&D with some other guys. And uh, my buddy ran in. He actually, uh, he was playing a cleric and he was like, hey, I need a deity. And he's, you know, he's a pretty, um, he's a pretty strong Christian guy. And he was like, I don't want to use one of the deities in the book. Can I just make one up? And I was like, yeah, man, sure. Go ahead. And he goes, I'm going to, you know, take God from the Bible and he's just going to be called Theos. Um, and so that's where like the main like idea for that came from was like through all of this, like five years of D and D campaigning and kind of just like jotting notes down here on the side, uh, the order of Theos kind of was born. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Okay. So before we get started uh, and Nick, Nick's itching to ask the art question, cause he looks, likes to drool over cover art. But before we get there, what is the age range for the story, the order of Theos and the series that will follow? Yeah, so it's I, I'm not really sure. Um, it's a little dark, 
but not like it doesn't have any like it's not Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, so it's pretty clean in that kind of respect. Um, I would say probably you can read it as young as like, you know, 13, 14 years old. Um, but I really tried to write it for everybody. Um, and as it like this being my first time doing this on my own, like I don't really know who my audience is yet um, or who I'm really writing to at the moment. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of for everybody. I know um, I, I was told by a friend a couple weeks ago that they got it for their son before that he can read before he goes into his freshman year of high school. So, um, yeah, I think it's for that young, 13, 14 years old, uh, you can it's pretty clean. There's a lot of violence in it, though, but nothing who, else. Bad. Who doesn't love violence, though? Everybody loves violence. Everybody loves violence. No, no I, I think that's yeah. And the other half is violence. Red lasers. Blue lasers. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody died except for the bats. They always died. Because they were no, trained by cool, stormtroopers. Oh, you didn't know that? Who the GI uh, Joes were? Or the yeah, all, and, and Cobra. They were all trained by stormtroopers. Disaffected stormies. So you know. Nice. It's sad, but I, I don't. I don't buy that. I'll punch you. Makes sense. But uh, all right. So 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 while I pull the cover off, Nick cannot contemplate punching me in the face. <laughs> it's gonna be a hug first. I'll hug you first. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna suck you in the jaw. All right. There's the cover, Nick. Oh, there we go. All right, man. I'm getting getting flashbacks to my D and D days. Love it. That's good. You got everybody. Is that like the uh, the party? Yeah, like the main. Well, it's the main four guys that the books or that the books okay. kind of follow. Yeah, I dig it. I dig it. Center so, framed. It it looks like they're in a perilous situation. Like a what's the wraparound look like? Going into a dungeon. Oh, is there's a wraparound? Uh, I'm asking him. It's just like the wall. It's nothing crazy. Okay. Yeah. So this okay. is give me. Have you seen the, the the Netflix show that they canceled after two seasons because they're horrible bastards? But the Nightfall about the uh, Knights Templar. Hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, I love that show. Oh, yeah, it's giving me some of that vibe, day. like with the uh, with the outfit and the 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 way they're doing it, like that order. Of, so like, some uh, sort I will of tell you, I was uh, playing a lot of Elden Ring when I started writing this. Okay, ah, so... uh, there it is. I see it now. <laughs> yeah, um, Elden Ring's got this like super detailed with their like character design and like the different like kind of equipment that they wear, and so that's a lot of that came from. Okay, uh, from the Elden. Ring. Who is the artist? But yeah, on Nightfall this? is dope. I love that show. So I found this guy. Um, it. I found this guy on Fiverr. I know. I have no budget to work with. And uh, he's, no, no, we've like, all been there. You're good. Yeah, <laughs> he's like out in Georgia. Um, he he finished it for me. But initially, it started off with this guy that I know. He illustrated him and his wife wrote like a children's book, and he illustrated it. And he's a really good uh, artist. And I was like, hey, can you do a book cover for me? And so he did the sketch for this. This exact thing came from that sketch. And he's just like, hey, I can't work on it anymore because it's just taking too much time. And I don't, I don't, I want you to be able to publish it and I'm not going to be done in time. And so then I found this guy on Fiverr who basically adapted it to this um, out in Georgia. And he did like in three weeks, did a great job. Um, he's working on the second book cover right now. He sent me a sketch uh, yesterday for it. And uh, I'm liking that one too. Okay. It's good stuff. Notice the name is top secret, Nick. I caught that. Did you catch that? We'll call him Bob. Jim Bob. <laughs> you're gonna confuse me. Uh, I forget your uncle and Billy Bob. Um, no, no. So I've been watching. I've been I, like, I'm a huge horror fanatic. Everybody knows this. At least if they didn't, they know now. 
I I order I subscribe to Shutter, which is like the Netflix of horror movies and TV series. And there's a show called The Last Drive-In with um, Joe Bob Briggs. So, like, when you start throwing that stuff there, like, my brain's going, like, oh, what am I going to watch on The Last Drive-In this week? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, distracting me, yo. Yeah, the um, it's one of those things where, on the one hand, when as an independent creator, you realize everyone you're working with are all independent contra- independent contractors as well. So you oh, want yeah, them to kill yeah. it, but then you don't want to give your your artists so much work that you can't afford them anymore, or they I don't have any time for you. So it's like, oh, the line between being a decent dude and and here's the thing with the artists: the more work you give them, the better they're going to get. The more they put in their portfolio, guess what? They raise their Charge rates. More. Exactly. Because yeah. I've done uh, that. The circle uh, of life out, boys or business. So uh, before before we start talking about the book, what would your 30-second elevator pitch for this be? I hate this question. <laughs> I'm terrible at these. Um, there is a there is a part on the back of the book. Uh, Just read it. I, I don't have it in front of me. Um, oh. Actually, hold on. I can I can grab it real fast. I do have a copy. We'll wait. We'll edit that out. Sure, we will. So uh, I do like this art, Nick. I, I'm digging the background with like the moss hanging. That was right, a nice right. touch. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a. Um, I think it's. I'm sure I'll be corrected if I'm wrong on it, but it looks like a transition from a cavern to a dungeon, which is usually that's a big thing in D and D. It's like you're out in the wilderness, you're out in the wild, you get into. Oh no, we found this like uh, cavern system that's going to save us like three days. And next, you know, you're in a dungeon fighting like the undead. Yeah. So you want me to read the the back cover? I can do that. Sure, yes, sir. All right. <clears throat> Be strong and courageous. The order of Theos is broken, scattered on the verge of collapse, and a black shadow is cast over the land. Thrust into the wilderness of Garion, a land where darkness dwells and evil rules the hearts of men, those in the order are ridiculed and scorned for their beliefs. Against hateful men and vicious monsters, will the order of Theos survive the darkest of nights? Boom. I like there it. it. Is. That was under 30 so- seconds. When I read that on the uh, in the show prep, that gave me some definite because I said I'm just I'm binging Nightfall right now. I just finished season one last night, so I'm like this was giving me some very uh, Templar vibes going on with the uh, the description like yeah, the order of. and falling apart. So I uh, I like yeah. Well, it. So, so my my favorite D and D character class is the Paladin, and so like basically these are just a bunch of Paladins running around that don't know what they're doing. The warrior okay. monk. Yeah. Okay. Huge fan of that. I always played a paladin too. So they're law and like, order, justice, like they're the best character class, in my opinion. It's not everybody. Yeah, I can't I agree. As much. Up, but I agree. I like the barbarian because you could just go crazy and like the morality, yeah, if I feel like it. Yeah, but they're the best clan to, <laughs> best class to turn into a tank. So draw all that. Yeah. I, I, I do like the tank class because you know just slack and hash and you don't have to think too much and no one really expects you to take charge and be like the party leader. I don't have to save nobody. I ain't got to cast no spells. <laughs> I just protect everybody from getting jacked up, and they can do all whatever they need to do. Your yeah. thieves, your rogues, your clerics, all them. Just go you just lean you. into I'm... every gym bro you've ever known and hated for being like a jerk, <laughs> and you yeah. just like throw that into the per- impersonation. Yeah, I didn't which is ironic to say thirties. <laughs> well, no, I, I I go to the gym like I'm working out too, and and like I, I'm separating that from the just the people that love working out and are like normally very helpful to any noob that shows up it's like their religion just like crossfit and vegans they want to tell you all about it um and i I dig it uh with the gym like i learned a lot from those people but those aren't the ones they want to help 
Yeah. yeah, the ones that want to help aren't the ones I'm talking about. It's the ones that, uh, you know, do the grunting for no other reason than just showing off and peacocking. And Dude, you're, all that you're in my mirror. You're in my mirror. <laughs> yeah. It's like, bro, like, come on. Go to the bathroom if you want to just stare at your hair wax. <laughs> bro, I watched you strain deadlifting 245. Get out of my face. I just deadlifted more than you. <laughs> so, so back to the book. So did you have like any – so a lot of fantasy is very – well, it's Eurocentric or it's Asian-centric or they'll lean into the Mongols, uh, re- culture and sort of religion. Did you lean onto any one sort of earth-based culture that we would know of when you were writing this world? Yeah, I'd say it's probably Eurocentric. Okay. So did you did you study any of the HEMA, the historical European martial arts, uh, to learn about some of this when you wrote your combat? Because no, because these guys is... don't these guys don't know what they're doing as much as they would like to, and so they're basically just flying by the seat of their pants the whole time. So you gave them a universal uh, fight plan. Yeah, they're, they're just going to. Well, that means if you get anything. This is the the uh, medieval equivalent of spray and pray. Um, Basically. Yes, sir. <laughs> but, but that yes, also sir. gives you an out as a writer. That's why I like the everyman because, well, yeah, if somebody corrects you, like, yeah, I know that. But Bob, the character, didn't know that. See? See? Yeah. Cedric the Brave has no idea what he's doing. He's just brave and he's got swords. Yeah, know? they know how to, like, swing their swords. But, like, all of the fancy moves, they don't know how to do that because they didn't, like, in the first They didn't train or the book, study. They, that wasn't their life, right? Yeah. Well, they were focused on other things, yeah. But they knew how to like use a sword in like its most basic format, as like a marine rifleman would know how to use a, a rifle in its most basic form. But like all of the specialized right. skills that like an infantry guy gets or a special ops guy gets, they don't have that. Right. So now, speaking I think those of are the most interesting characters. So like I write military sci-fi. I I know what a rifle feels like in my shoulder. I know what the kick feels like. I know what the sight picture, the breathing. At, that leads to realism when I write. Now you obviously have that for the for the sci-fi side, but when it comes to the fantasy element with the fantasy combat, have you found yourself buying like training swords so you can get a feel of how it balances in your hand or any of that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've got yeah, I've got it. <laughs> it's one of those uh, obsessions that my, my wife's like, I hate that you are have expensive hobbies, and I'm like, I'm sorry, like it's just what it is. <laughs> they gave me I guess got, to adult money, you know. Which yeah. Is I get it. James bought me as a Christmas present a uh, a Kopesh so I could feel how it feels to, to write about it because the person that's using it in my book doesn't have any training. So if they mess up, well, they didn't know any better. Uh, so I get like how holding it in your hands, like holding that piece of equipment that you're writing about. Now, h- how far have you gone? You got full plate armor that you're like marching around in to get get it right or you just guessing? I gotta, well, armor. none of the characters wear plate mail. It's all like um, like quilted, leather. Um, in like leather like quilted armor um like padded okay. armor so nothing heavy um and then all the sword play is like um you know hand and a half swords okay so nothing crazy so they don't carry um did you deal with any of the archery like ranged uh characters in this series nah no not well i'm thinking there's a it's little like bit of it but, but not a lot <laughs> It's like, hey, when uh, the situation gets tough, like their magic exists in this world. And so, uh, you know, there are some characters that can use it, some can't. There's special properties that go along with it. Um, and so a lot of the range is like the kind of the broad strokes where it's like, oh, hey, there's a whole bunch of bad guys shoot arrows all at one time. So it's like a hail of arrows coming at you. But like all the individual archery stuff, like I don't have that. Like no rangers in there, just like taking those longbow shots. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's uh, one, like, they're, they know how to use a bow, and I have one, like, I've got a bow at home, and I've used it before, like, done some archery in the past, and so I know, like, the basics of archery, um, and, like, the characters the same know the basics of archery, it's just not right. something that they, is more prominent in this book than, you know, other books. Tell me more so about the magic. Is the, is the magic, like, commonly known throughout, like, the, the general populace, or do you have to, like, it's... <clears throat> almost like folklore and there's like a special school for people that are like almost like force users. So like magic um, receptive individuals. Yes. So like the world itself, um, I've got like a whole like six book novella series that I want to write to like do some more world building, but the, the world itself is pretty old. And so a lot of the stuff is like the, the, like some of the gear that they use, like weapons and the armor is like imbued with magic properties. Um, okay. And then, like, they have, uh, like, everybody's got a spirit. And so, like, if they train their spirit, they can use, you know, spells or magic that's, you know, gifted to them. But they have to train it to train to use it. Otherwise, it just, like, saps all their energy and they're basically useless in battle. Just almost like a muscle type thing they're developing. Yeah. Um, but it's not, it, I wouldn't say, like, everybody knows how to use it. Only, like, okay. a certain, certain group of characters and like there's a mage like a specific mage uh in the book yeah. that shows up towards the end um that's kind of like the obi-wan character if you will okay um yeah. and uh like he knows how to use it really well because he was like he's the high mage of the land but for the most part it's like a lost art oh, okay yeah that makes it interesting so like when people discover this you know being this lost art you know it's probably very exciting to them so did you write some rules for your magic? Because everyone who, you know, reads about fantasy has probably heard about um, Brandon Sanderson talking about his rules for magic that makes it, you know, sort of systematic. I know some people hate it. They like the chaos and they sort of write their magic intentionally chaotic. So what is this world's magic system? Like, what can you elaborate on it? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say there's like a lot of rules for it. Um, if like like the main character has a magic sword that he gets uh, through his travels and he can use the magic that's in the sword, but he has to figure out how to use it because it's not like, it's not like, Hey, here's the instruction manual on how to use this magic. Right. Sword. And every there's time he, book. yeah, there's no book for it. And so every time he uses a spell, it like, he just feels like drained. And like some of the other characters, um, so, like, one of the other characters kind of goes off on his own and he like runs into like one of the older members of the order who can use magic and he kind of trains him how to use it properly and that's where like the whole spirit comes into place like you have to like meditate and train your spirit and like store up that kind of spirit energy before you can use magic spells and if you <laughs> run out basically you're just like like fatigued to the max and you can't do anything so not like chaotic it's a lot of uh it's, i wouldn't say it's like chaos magic that's not something that I would particularly write about, but it is very, um, it is very structured. I would say in that okay. case. So, so what is it about chaos magic that you don't like that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't want to write about it? Is there something about it that you don't find appealing as a creative or. Um, pass. <laughs> no, I just, I, I, I just haven't delved into it as deeply as I probably should have uh, or could have. Um, I think just like off the cuff, I'm just like, yeah, it needs to be more structured. But if, you know, chaos magic exists for in, in my universe, then it's something that I'd have to do more research on before I can be like, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. Okay. So you're sort of figuring out the world building as you write it. So you're not there yet. Let's go with that. 
<laughs> that sounds better than what I said. <laughs> okay. no, that's cool. I mean, there's definitely a thing where, where creatives can get so into doing the outlining and the world building that they forget to tell the story. And then by the time you write the story, you've forgotten half of what you created and you don't use it anyway. So you just wasted all that time. Right. So I, I dig that process. It's sitting in a notebook like, hey, you going to use me? Um, and then you got to oh, figure sure. out, like, did I actually put this in the book and it's now canon? Or was this just me speculating and I can still change it? So was it a dream? The dream, the dream sequence is always a, a good way to erase errors. <laughs> it's like, oh, that was just yeah. a dream I was having. <laughs> All right, there, Fox Entertainment. Um, so, so I learned you, it from Dallas. I learned it from Dallas what, as a kid. What can you tell us about the main characters? I'm assuming this four, the four guys on the cover, are the main characters. Yeah, um, and yeah, so the the four main characters they're like younger guys, um, you know, late teens, early twenties. Um, they like their whole world gets kind of flipped upside down, um, kind of like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, but a lot more violently. Yeah, I got some city miles on them. Yeah, at the beginning of the book, and so um, they're basically like their entire leadership structure like just gets completely removed, and so they're like, what do we do? Um, and so it's basically them trying to figure out like, Hey, what is the best path for us to move forward? Uh, one guy thinks that he needs to go off on his own. And the other three are like, we need to go find help. And so, um, their paths kind of diverge about, I wouldn't say like halfway through the book, like probably the quarter or quarter of the way or a third of the way through the book, their paths kind of diverge. Um, and then even like further down the line, um, the, the two, there's like two main characters that I follow. And then, um, the other, the fourth one kind of like, they break off on their own as well and so there's like by the second book there's like three different perspectives that i'm that i'm writing from okay well, that's pretty cool um, you mentioned that you have some books that are in post-production so where are you on the order of theos you said you've got the first one's obviously out we're looking at the cover the yep. second one you said is with editing and august the, uh, 1st is my, yeah august 1st is my um published date for that one happy so, birthday to me that's <laughs> my birthday is, uh it's it's so it's in uh going to its second rounds second round of edits and then once it's back from its second round of edits then i'm going to finalize everything and so by like mid-july i'll be ready to publish and then august 1st is when i'm going to hit the the go live on it and what about book three are you working on book three already or is that also yeah book three is also it with my editor um she will get to it sometime this summer uh, december 1st is when i'm planning on releasing that um, I probably have to rewrite the ending because I'm not good at those full, full, full admission there. Um, so I'll probably do that sometime in the next, you know, a couple weeks and then get that tour and get everything finalized. But yeah, December 1st for that one as well. So I know some people don't like to start series if they're not done, they've been screwed by, uh, Rothfuss and Martin and some of the others who like, you know, disappeared into the wild blue yonder without ever finishing their, their opus. Um, so if, if you're listening, you can take courage to, or take comfort in the fact that at least the trilogy is written. It's just an editing. So you're not going to get hosed with a book. Does it end on the third book or is there more that comes after? Yeah. So I'm not going to pull a Christopher Pagliolini and write four books because he like the original like inheritance cycle, like for Aragon, it was supposed to be three. And then he wrote a fourth book because he just had too much story, story to tell. Um, I don't want to do that. So like I said, I have to, I've, I need to go back and rewrite the ending to the third um before you know june is over with but 
three is what I'm sticking with for this one. Um, there will be like, I do have like a plan for like kind of like world building novellas um, that will take place in the same universe or in the same world. But the, the characters that I follow their story will be done at, at the end of this third book. Okay. So the series is basically done for those that are listening and it's just post-production that's that should be encouraging for them. So what, yeah, uh, what, that's, <laughs> Did you lean into any specific tropes? I know, you know, we talked about when we were talking about your military time, one of the things you liked about the military is it sort of flavored the everyman stories you like to tell. But it, did you lean into any of those tropes uh, of the average soldier when you were writing this book or did you go different direction? Yeah, I mean, I, I like to think that it's, you know, every man could get, you know, put in the situation that these people are in uh, or the characters are in. And so that's what I... And I believe everybody has a story to tell, right? And so if, you know, every man could be, could tell their story, that's basically what it would be. Um, For the main characters, uh, there definitely are uh, like the four main characters. It is like the every man story. And then, like I said, there's like a high mage character who's like the Obi-Wan, like the wise master kind of, um, you know, role. Um, one of the characters is there's, I guess there's like two in that, in that regard, because one goes off by himself. Uh, and so there's kind of like two in that. Um, but that's, that's really it. I think in this, as far as tropes go, um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to delve too deeply into those. So you have your, your cast of, of four sort of main characters, um, did you have any secondary characters or did you focus almost singularly on the four mains since that's a lot to follow? Um, yeah, there are, they do. There's like secondary characters throughout, um, that kind of come into play more so in like the second and the third book versus the, the first book. The first book really just does focus on kind of the four main characters. Um, towards the end of the first book, there's like a primary secondary character, um, like, I guess he's a secondary character, but um, he holds a lot more weight in the story <clears throat> than um, like a normal secondary character would. Okay. Speaking of weight in the story, so obviously the world sounds pretty dangerous based on the description and the darkness of the cover sort of setting that ambiance. But, like, is there a main bad guy that they're fighting or is the world itself the bad guy? Is this more um, a process story of them reforming the order? Um, so there is like, without going into great detail, uh, cause it gets into it in the third book. Um, but there's kind of like this idea that there's like these five demon Lords who are like controlling everything. And that's like where the darkness comes from. Um, and so like, theoretically, those are the main bad guys. Uh, um, but it is one of those things where it's like, because men's hearts are so corrupt and wicked that basically everybody could be a bad guy. It's just a matter of perspective in that case. Um, And so, yes, there is a villain, uh, multiple villains that the characters have to overcome and kind of fight against, um, but not like one specific villain. Okay. It's going to work. So it's, uh, it's, it's sort of situational then with the, um, with the scene by scene almost in some respects. Uh, No, there's like an overarching theme to it or like enemy to it. Um, it just depends on, I guess, the what part of the book. I guess nah, I wouldn't say scene by scene, but yeah, like which book you're in. Um, okay. Because the second book has different enemies than the first book. 
Okay. So are there any the specific... The the second. It kind of builds on itself in that way. Okay. Were there any specific themes that you, you went for when you wrote the story since you, you kind of had a, a vibe in mind given what you were consuming and uh, playing game-wise when you were uh, conceiving of this world? Were there specific themes you were going for? Yeah. Um, so the, um, the, the first villain... Uh, he's the demon lord of greed, and so like he like basically turns people greedy. Um, and then the other one, the one of the main villains, uh, he's the corrupter of men, and so he corrupts men's hearts like through like you know whispering sweet nothings to them, and um, like sh- giving them and showing them things that they could have if they just did this little bad deed. And so um, there's kind of that like what would how would a human kind of respond um to all of these bad things that are happening to them um and not like in the most like upstanding and righteous way if you know what i mean okay so uh i got nick distracted for a second looking up something but does this world since it's based on like i'm doing producer stuff man i know i know So because you said this was sort of based on the concept of like a tabletop role-playing game, do you have the standard dwarves, elves, you know, all the character types that we're used to for races? No, actually. um, I wouldn't say standard by any stretch of the imagination. Um, It's, it's all like different factions of humanity or different factions of like a human race. Do you think uh, different races will show up later or do they just not exist in your world? Well, there's it's okay if they world. don't. I yeah, mean, there's happens. still a lot of world building left to do. Um, I would say like maybe like a variation of an elf, but not like how we see elves in like Lord of the Rings. Um, but yeah, I can see it happening. I just don't have plans for it right now. Oh, okay. okay. I mean that's fine. What, so we talked about mythical races. What about like mythical monsters? Obviously, it looks like they're dungeon diving. So are there like undead, you know, monsters, that sort of thing? Yeah, Minotaurs. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there is a Minotaur that they fight at the end of the first book. No, I was just <laughs> joking. No way. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so basically when I was writing it, uh, it was like, hey, I've got the D&D monster manual from third or 3.5 and 5th edition right next oh, to me. Oh, that's a good one. And I just like opened it up. That's I'm like, what's one. the coolest thing I can get? Um, so, yeah, there's... Uh, there's some undead, there's some like goblins and um, like satyrs, uh, harpies, like lots of demons. Um, yeah, there's there's some there's uh, like a chimera in the second book. Um, yeah, so there's yeah, there's definitely monsters uh, that they have to fight on the on their road on their journey. So, you know, this is the opening to a larger universe of, of fantasy, and you were inspired, you said, by the uh, the D&D and, and all of that. So, I've got to ask you the, the all-famous question. Did they start their battle fighting rats in somebody's basement at a tavern for a few extra coins? No, not, not in the slightest. Or what Dang. I call last Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It just seems like that's a standard one or bugs, right? You always start with bugs oh, or rats in someone's basement. Yeah, I know <laughs> yeah, so no, it, it's almost like the full gambit right away. Oh, okay. awesome. Oh, I, I love it when stories go from zero to 60 in like a few chapters. I think that's awesome. So, so is um, this... Sounds like this, this, we're going to get a little bit of that. 
Is this first person or third? So uh, there's like one primary character and it's like, he's the one telling the story. Um, he's so the narrator. Like, yeah. So the sections where he's like the kind of the primary where I'm following, that's for, written in the first person. But when I focus on the other characters or switch over to them, it's written in the third person, almost as if he's telling the story uh, or like the first main character is telling the story after the fact. Okay. That's cool. Um, does that, does, I know uh, it's different, but I was like, no, whatever, it's... no one's telling me I can't do it. So, <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the thing. You're, you're God in your world. So you get to do whatever he, you want. That's a great thing. Is he telling it in a tavern though? Cause that's where you tell those stories. No, so he's almost so he uh without giving any spoilers away, um it's no spoilers it's as if it's being written down um after the fact. So not in the same way as like um uh, you know Nick and Jason do the Forgotten Ruin stuff, um, but in le- like a less kind of in your face kind of way. So you're not the only they're not the only ones that did that. Um Christopher uh, Rocchio did that with his Sun Eater, where it's like the guy's writing it almost like a memoir after the fact, um, sort of justifying some of the stuff. No, I'm just saying it's it's not it's not an uncommon thing to have it told in the in the form of um, let me recount this because I mean even even just telling it as diary entries wouldn't be out of order in the world of a fantasy. I think. Yeah, I think it would. Yeah. Well, and thank God Sarn Thor is getting his own book soon. Absolutely. Kickstarter coming in June sometime. So it'll be after it should be launching or launched when this episode airs. Speaking of air and uh books, uh any and plans Aaron for books? Air, that's right. That question. So uh, audiobooks. Go ahead and ask. audiobooks, bro. You is it gonna be on audio or <laughs> um I eventually. <laughs> eventually. Uh, yeah, small budget means I can't afford an audiobook right now, so I'm toying with the idea of doing it myself. Um okay. But uh, I've got a full-time job that I work my yes, normal sir. day. And so all the writing I do is like kind of in my free time when I'm not spending time with my wife and uh, taking care of my two dogs. And so it's uh, finding the time to do it is, I think, probably the most difficult thing. But yeah, yeah there is a plan for it. People have asked me about the audiobook. Um, I just, it's not not this year, probably. The, well, uh, I, I'm the, looking forward to that because I went to the Benning School of Boys Don't that don't read so good. <laughs> so the the other part of that is the the audiobook market right now. It's it's not very clear for for authors, and so it makes trying to market it difficult, um, which makes it a risky investment for a small business, which is an independent creator. Um, so I noticed on your fa- um, Amazon page that it's in hardback and ebook. Any plans for a print copy? Like a yeah. paperback? Yeah, it's in paperback too. Um, it's in three. Yeah, I made sure that it was uh, hardcover, paperback, oh. and ebook uh, when I first oh, printed it. Well, they're not linked together then, and you can fix that, and it'll probably be fixed before this episode airs. Yes, um, sir. Because really? we're diligent like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you the. I'll send you a screen grab of what you're seeing, but uh, that's boring behind the scenes stuff that the audience doesn't care about. So, yeah, <laughs> when you finish the uh, the main order of the Theos books. Um, and you're, you're going to, you said you talked about some, some prequel novellas to sort of build the world after that, where in the world do you think you want to go? Do you want to go contemporary to when this story is being told maybe far in the future, far in the past? Uh, after those novellas are written. Yeah. That's a good idea. Or that's a good question. I haven't thought about <laughs> that. 
Uh, it's also a good idea. It's so also a great idea. Uh, so that's why we use these things. It also so depends see- on how well it does, right? Like if people are asking me to do um, like more in that kind of universe, like along the same kind of lines of where either I picked up um, or left off at the end of the third book um, or more stuff from beforehand, um, I'm totally open for that. It's just, you know, I don't want to force something down readers' throats that they're not asking for. And so if no one is asking for it, then I'm not going to do it. But I do think that world building is important. And there's some things that um, I've talked to like um, my like, copy editor or uh, like content editor and a couple other guys that have read it that have asked me about some things. And I'm like, Oh, I can do some world building stuff on that. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. So, um, but yeah, for the most part, um, I, I didn't plan on anything after the third book um, in terms of like the main story, but it's, it's like, it's, it's like Nick said earlier, it's a sandbox that I can do whatever I want in. So yeah, there's potential for a story there. Do you think you might want to uh, do like a D&D style source book? Like if they wanted to turn your story in these novels into like in like a D&D game or a campaign? I mean, that'd be cool. I'm open to it. Yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> do, those I'm make, for that. do those actually make a lot of money? I don't know. I, the, the business side would be. Um, it, it, it doesn't hurt to have your idea amongst different media and I consider D and D or any type of tabletop gaming as a different type of media, you know. And then you have, you know, it'll, there you you can't really determine who's going to draw in too. So if you have both those things going on, you have the novels going on, and you have like a tabletop game going on too. They might discover the tabletop game first based on like word of mouth because that's usually how D and D went. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're like, hey man, but it's all based off this game called the or this book called The Order of Theus. Have you ever read it? And they're like, oh hell no. Next you know, boom. Now you got like so readers. I, I know I know what you're saying, Nick, and I get the uh, being across the various um, like mediums to sell your product. I just wonder because everyone, every author that I know that's done a D and D type game, they built their own RPG. It's been a vanity project that they did because they wanted it. And do they actually make money? I honestly don't know. That's building their own usually doesn't because everybody goes through the uh, what TYR, you know, um, right? Um, the big ones. So. I don't even know if TYR is a thing anymore. It's been forever since I played any type of games, but uh, um, making a companion that fits with an already an established type game that that does sell. That does yeah, but then fine. you've got to get permission. So if you were going to do this with a with a game engine that already exists, do you have like a preference what you'd want to use? A D twenty, I don't know, a D six system. There's lots of them out there. Yeah, it would probably be based on a D twenty system because that's what I'm familiar with. Yeah. So would it be like the OSR, the old school stuff, or would you go with like a 5e kind of version? Um, probably. Well, yeah, I think fifth edition. I, I grew up playing. I grew up playing. I started playing 3.5. And so that's probably more along the lines of what I would use. But fifth edition is is pretty close to that. So I'd probably use that. Okay. So no Thacko for you. Got it. <laughs> I actually, so I played like one session of 3.5 and then the group kicked me out because it was like the the election and they thought, oh, you were in the infantry. You must be fill in the blank political party and we don't want your kind here. And uh, so that was that. And then I started gaming with the uh, Galaxy's Edge people online and that was 2E basically. Uh, So my first ever my second ever D&D campaign, James Ward, was the uh, was the dungeon master. So my experience with uh, with dice was a little bit weird uh, as a way to get into it. But 
Yeah, I think the D20 system is is pretty universally known. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, I agree. I, yeah. I like the idea just because of all the cool art because I'm digging the, the cover. So if the rest of the art is as good. So what yeah, I'm waiting I'm, I'm I will see. We'll see what happens. I'm I'm fresh into this. Uh if and, and like I said, I got a full time job. So if I this was my thing primarily, you know, full time, it'd probably be a lot easier to do, but it's just stuff I haven't thought about yet. Um, but it sounds well, like a great well, idea if it works. Hopefully we get it to so this is your primary job. That's the that is the goal. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, as we bring this to a close, uh, I have to ask, because it's just a fun question. If you could live in the order, the worlds that are the order of Theos, would you go? Probably. I mean, yeah. it's basically like medieval Europe, right? Where it's like, uh, yeah. like um, steel age technology almost. And so right. like, there are good things about it. Like the vistas. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's magic and there's there's things to do. Um, I would also go into a, a D like um, Sword Coast. I would go there uh, in the you know the Forgotten Realms D and D world. So, yeah, I think it, I think I would, um, knowing that there's you know evil to fight against. Um, it's kind of like my mentality. Okay, so this is Nick's favorite question. I'm going to steal it from him because he put in the side chat that he was going to ask it next, and I just like to do this to him. But you did yeah, a lot yeah. of horrible. You did a lot of horrible things to these characters. So if you ever ran into them in the back in a back alley and they knew that you were Steve with a last name that I'm gonna just not pronounce because I don't want to mess it up again. If they knew that you were yeah, the Connecticut, if they knew that you were the Steve, how do you see that fair? And you got a chance to kick their ass or are you dead? I think I with some of them I got a chance. With the other ones, um they're gonna they're gonna take they're, they're, they're just gonna roll you over. <laughs> <laughs> So, so speaking of I'll, Nick, don't, we, don't feel bad. All my characters would kick my ass. So, <laughs> Nick, we gotta start writing our own fantasy just so we can uh, expense our mead and, and uh, alcohol consumption because we're just you know getting into character. You think we can we can pass that to the IRS? Uh yeah, I'll just do it through an LLC. We'll get a zero interest loan from a bank and we'll make it happen. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right. So you talked about what's coming next for the universe. So is there anything else about this world that uh, we didn't ask, we didn't talk about that you wanted to tell us before we wrap it up? And we talked about a lot. Uh <laughs> um I think that like there is this element of what is the unknown. And so like in the book, there's, there's this uh, shroud that like covers part of the land that they can't see past is like this dark shadow. And like their, their goal is like, Hey, we got to get out there because that's where the evil is coming from. Um, but re in reality, like they're stuck in it already. And so um, there is that like, what is beyond like, is the grass greener on the other side? Or are we going into something that's more dangerous and more treacherous? Um, is like kind of one of those questions that gets asked along the way. Like, is what we're doing the right thing? Are we going in the right direction? Uh, which I think a lot of people in life, especially nowadays, ask that same question of themselves. Am I doing the right thing? Absolutely. Am I going in the right direction? What is, what is beyond the horizon? And so um, I think that there is like... Um, you know, I, I talked to Doc Spears when I first started writing and he, I asked him, I was like, Hey, how do you do this? And he goes, if you know, find something that you want to, you know, write about one. And then the other thing is like, where's the lesson that you're trying to teach or what, what kind of lesson are you trying to teach? 
Um, and so like in a world that's filled with darkness, like there is hope, like you just have to find it. Right. And so where do you go to find it is basically what, um, you know, the order of Theos is talking about. Okay. So with that being said, if someone wanted to get um, up to date on when the next stories are launching, so that way they can, you know, hit the buy button as quickly as possible. Do you have a newsletter they can follow where they get those updates from you? Um, I'm really bad about doing all this, um, like the the um, business side of things. Um, I have a website where I do like a monthly blog, um, basically at the very beginning of the month where I talk about what's coming up and what I've done and uh, like what I'm working on. Um, so they can go to my website and subscribe there and they can get that. Um, I like I use Facebook is like as my primary um, to like talk to people. But I've been told that, that Facebook is not designed to sell books. That's what Amazon's job is for. Facebook it connects you with readers. Um, but I will talk about my books occasionally on there. Uh, it's like it's a promo coming or an ad that's you know coming out for it. Um, but for the most part, it's, you know, if you subscribe to my website, you can read the blogs that I write there. Okay. So bookmark that. It'll be in the show notes, dear listener. And before we let you go, we'd like to remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So do your part, people. And if you give him 100 reviews, I hear they're going to give him his very own sword so he can join his brothers on the cover and go, you know, stabby stabby with the uh, with the Minotaurs. I'm going on so. an adventure. <laughs> that would be. Dope. I wonder if anyone ever tried to ride a minotaur in any of those uh, fantasy stories, just for the fun of it. Ride the lightning. That'll work out, I'm sure. I mean, I, don't, I can't see that being a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fun to try, right? Did you say I want to say ride the lightning, ride a minotaur? Like, I'm pretty sure, like the Greek mythology, like the minotaur I that's in the that. labyrinth. That's like, crazy. I'm pretty sure. I forget who it was that went down there, but I'm pretty sure he jumped on the minotaur's back before he ripped its head off. So, uh, yeah, that or counts. Says, or says one of the stories from mythology. So, yeah, yeah, I could, I could dig it. I don't know what Nick, you, you going to jump on the minotaur's back and see if you can saddle that bad boy? You're from Texas. Oh, yeah. You got uh, yeah. I mean, I don't. I, I just need to ride him for eight seconds, just for. You know, for points, but right, but you got to do it with form, like the style, right? That pizzazz. No, 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 no form. No, just don't fall off for eight seconds. PMR, professional minotaur riding. That's right. I'm signing up. I got my I got my leathers ready to go. So so now we have the next book series that uh, Steve and Nick are going to write together, the PMR series. (laughs) Rider, Rider the Minotaur. Ride the lightning. Ride the lightning. Book one. We're just going to like alternate dimensions just to like throw a ride of riding all these like historical. That, that's the title stories. right there. Ride the lightning. Subtitle: A funny thing happened on my way to the rodeo. <laughs> yes, dude, that's going to write itself. That's a comic right there. You could like. Oh, dude. We're in the money. We've got all the ideas, people. All the ideas. And speaking yeah, of ideas, uh, <laughs> if they wanted to follow you on the internet because they get this brilliant idea to stalk you online, as you do, how can they find you? Uh, yeah, like I'm mostly on Facebook. Um, I do have a Twitter and an Instagram, which I don't use as much. Although, like Instagram is connected to Facebook, so like when I post pictures, they show up on my. Yeah, Instagram it's all the too. metaverse right now. Yeah, all the same. Um, and then my website, and I'm pretty sure that's it. Um, like I said, I'm new to this whole social media thing. Um, well, not new to it, but new to the authoring portion of it. So, the website, and then those kind of three major platforms um, that I have. And the links are will all be in the show notes, I'm pretty sure. 
Okay. And uh, you can find us, dear listener, over on Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. Again, blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. If you want Rick, uh, Rick, if you want Nick to write that PMR story, Professor Minotaur Racer writer, uh, funny thing happened on the way to the rodeo, let him know and we might get him to make a comic out of it. But you know, you might have to throw some money into his very own buy me a coffee, which he started and we will be linking to the youtube page because i pestered him uh because people might like him and want to support his stuff uh you know so however much a panel costs uh speaking of stalking us you can also join us on facebook where all the shenanigans happen over at facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast again backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast we have a website over on anchor.fm backslash blasters tag and tag blades again anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades where for as little as 99 cents a month you can support the show and help keep the lights on and it's greatly appreciated or you can support the show more directly over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put in the comment section. It is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated. They will drink until their liver explodes. Maybe we should switch from caffeine to mead or something because, you know, it's, it's fantasy. You got to drink the mead. Mead. Yep. All right. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And with that being said, um, Stephen, thank you for coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks. I Thanks for having me on here. I know you guys didn't have to take me, and I just kind of shot you a message out of the blue one day, and I uh, appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Any friend of Jeremy's is a friend of ours, Steve. We're good. So we appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully it wasn't too hard because we broke the script that we gave you like an hour before the show anyway. So you probably didn't have time to read it. But thanks. <laughs> thanks for <laughs> no, coming on. And uh, dear listener, before I hit the end recording button, if you like this more ad-libbed approach to the second half of the show, let us know. And uh, we'll discuss it in the minutes as we drink more mead or something. And we're out. Whatever. Bourbon, mead, whatever. It's all booze. It gives you the